Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Screen. My name is Frank Sanchez, and I am your host. And as always, Kristen Fuller is our producer. And we are back here in 2020. New year, new you, and of course, uh, new episodes of the podcast. So I've got a great guest with me tonight. I have Janelle Jimenez. Hello. And hello. Uh, <laughs> Janelle is currently an independent consultant specializing in product management, specifically as it relates to in-game cosmetic strategy and creative development of intellectual property. Before that, she was best known in games as product manager, producer for Riot Games, for skins and other digital content. Her journey into the games industry has many interesting stops along the way, including work in social media, politics, international relations, and more, including jobs working for Jet, Vocative, High Five Games, and the permanent mission of Japan to the United Nations. Ooh. That is an amazing resume. <laughs> you make it sound so interesting when you say it like that, though. It, it's interesting <laughs> all the time. We have interesting guests. And uh, more than that, she's also a longtime friend and a fellow college student who I'm very pleased to have on the show. Janelle, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So we have, man, we have known each other for a minute. Like, um, I don't want to say because then <laughs> that would tell people how old I am, but it's been a, uh, maybe a couple decades. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, just a little. Just a little. Yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we did attend uh, university together for a little while. Uh, and Wait, Do you know how I met you, though? Do you remember? So this is where I say that I'm too old because I actually don't remember. <laughs> oh my god, I actually, I actually straight up remember. So I have a story for your listeners now. Oh no, so, here we go. Uh, it was orientation at. Um, no, I was on a tour of Loyola University Chicago. Yes. And you had on a shirt uh, of some sort of anime uh, thing, anime central perhaps. Yeah, probably. Um, I introduced myself to you. I was like, oh my God, I go there. And you like introduce yourself as staff. That's cool. And then when I went for orientation, you were my orientation person. That's right. Yeah. Now yeah. I remember. Oh my goodness. So I was like, yeah. yeah. I was like, wait, I, I know you from two different worlds. This is so weird. I know you from like anime convention stuff. And then like, yeah, you're the the dude at um, orientation, like showing me around. It was yeah. kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I really enjoyed that program. That program was called Genesis. And oh, cool. uh, it was, I, I joined the program because, because when I went through the program as a student, you know, it was really cool to see uh, people who were students who were invested in welcoming other students and bringing them into the community and making them feel welcome. And so that's, I mean, I suppose that, you know, that, that plants the seeds. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then like, you know, the, the, it planted the seeds for basically what I do today, you know, working in community and games. So, you know, it, it's that desire to be inclusive and include people and yeah. show them things and, and, and have them be enjoyable. And I know you've done that in your work as well. And, and yeah, so I'm um, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> and did, now we're we both in the games industry. <laughs> I know. How weird is that? And it's pretty and, weird. Know, the, the, we, we took like, we took Japanese together. I remember that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That was, right. that was, that was, that was a fun course, fun course indeed. Um, but yeah, so we have we've known each other for quite some time. It has been a journey for both of us, definitely. Uh, and uh, one thing that I wanted to kind of start out asking you about is that one I've I've really noticed that even now, um, after uh, after you've been at Riot, that you have this sort of high level of engagement and sort of welcoming attitude towards uh, the people who follow you either on social media or, or in those other places. And uh, where, where does that sort of come from as far as your desire to be, uh, to include people and give them insight into things like 
skins and how things come together and how products get released and all of that. Like, well, what's your main motivation for for doing that and, and sort of being inclusive to, to players when you're trying to explain to them, oh, yeah, this is a really cool project. This is what, you know, what happened here. Um, these are cool things. So. Um, <clears throat> I think it's like, this is, I think I have two answers here. One is uh, it's just kind of um, inherent to my personality. I'm, I'm a pretty extroverted person once I got over my shyness. Um, if you've ever done Strengths Finder, which is a it's a personality test kind of thing by by Gallup actually, um, one of my uh, personality traits is connectedness. I just I love to connect people. I love to connect with people. I love to meet people um, and have like fun conversations with them. So it just kind of I don't know. It kind of comes naturally to me. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, I just. I just kind of wanted to be that game dev that I wished game devs were like when I was younger. I mm -hmm. I uh, I grew up um, playing um, World of Warcraft in college and stuff like that, and I loved uh, I loved Blizzard for their community interaction because it was something that um, not a lot of other game companies were doing. And um, uh, I have actually apologized to Greg Street, gross, uh, Ghostcrawler, um, mm -hmm. in person for being that uh, that troll on the forums, you know, screaming at him for what he did to me. <laughs> I actually like apologized to him for this like recently, but um, I don't know. Like I even even because even with that, I I um, I really appreciated them for taking the time to you know even listen to us and um, sort of the community aspect is a lot of the reason why I came to admire um, Riot Games uh, in the first place, because uh, when I started playing League, I was actually super impressed with the way they sort of interacted with their community and, you know, the sort of conversational way they did patch notes, the fact that um, mm -hmm. Rioters, Riot employees were on Twitter and Reddit and stuff. So I just kind of want to give back. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I, I considered, I was actually a community manager and I was a social media manager, um, but mm -hmm. I, um, I don't know, it was, it, I found it actually really hard to teach people how to, um, to sort of be like me, quote unquote, because that's what my uh, managers always wanted me to do, like, you know, train people. Sure. And it's, it's like, I don't know, it's one of those things that you have to actually enjoy doing or else um yeah you can't teach somebody to be interested in people on twitter like you either yeah. are or aren't <laughs> and so i'm just one of those people who is i guess yeah i mean you know what it's it's funny because when you think about how the way that people talk about twitter today people are like oh it's uh it's like this hellscape it's very <laughs> difficult to deal with you know, it's, there's a lot going on there. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, I have my issues with the platform, but yes, uh, as someone who, who works in a front facing sort of uh, position where you constantly are exposed to that level of feedback, you have to, on some level, enjoy it, even though it's yeah. hard, man, there are days that are difficult and I know you've had them too. And, and it's, it's, you have to have that, that kind of passion is a really bad word. It's more like you have to have some kind of uh, I think it's a person. It has to bring trait. you some kind of joy. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you have to either have the desire to to uh, pass on a good experience to other people, or get people excited about something that you're working on, and you know, and know that the fact that not everyone's going to agree with you, and not everyone is going to, you know, not even everyone is going to be nice to yeah. you. 
and and that's it's it's hard sometimes especially when you deal with it day to day yeah no it's it's uh it can be really really draining um and that's also part of the reason i didn't want um to be necessarily player facing as a core component of my job Uh, everything i did at riot um that was public um i i basically like did for free i mean i was it was i mean i like i wasn't paid to do that basically it's just like anyone can any we're encouraged people were encouraged at riot to um you know to to be vocal on twitter to be out their authentic selves um on forums reddit what have you and um like unless you were a community manager that was that was just something you could do if you wanted to do it and no one was expecting you to do it and for me i i enjoyed being the product manager that could actually sort of explain to players why we made the choices we did and i wanted to do it because as a gamer myself i just thought this stuff was interesting like i don't know i and i think the the kind of um players who tend to follow me on twitter are are also the kinds of players who they want to know the like I don't know, the real inside baseball kind of stuff that no one else cares about, but us, like, you know, what, what is Star Guardian Lux's favorite, uh, favorite, um, food or something (laughs) like that. Because the reality is, is like, sometimes we actually have very, um, complicated, uh, world Bibles and, and have thought about like the deeper meaning of, of what this character has in their hand when they're doing like, you know, a joke emote or something so i just i loved being able to share that stuff because it felt like a waste to like kind of have it die yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you if you can talk about it, it's great but a lot of times you can't well so that was what the awesome thing was is because i was a product lead i could kind of decide what was and wasn't okay to talk about so (laughs) it it was it's interesting because a lot of the people um specifically uh in this situation we're talking about skins um on league of legends a lot of the people who were who are and were talking about skins publicly are people who um, they work on the skins, but they don't get to make the final decisions on things. And it kind of sucks, honestly, that they have to kind of tank the abuse or the, the, the questions, but they can't, they don't actually have the accountability for it. It's just kind of like a, I don't know, it's a, it, I think it's a, sucky place to be so i personally was okay with being the person like hey this is my thing i made a mistake and this or this is why we did this thing or uh this is what we're gonna do and if you don't like it i'm sorry but it is what it is so yeah yeah yep it's it's a it's it's not an easy job no no. (laughs) and and it's it's very stressful at times and and all that but one thing that I, i noticed um you know speaking to what uh, you used to do it right or even after you left was something would come out that was released like a skin or a product or something like that and you'd be like yeah you know what this is a, this was really exciting it was a real cool project that i worked on or or somebody else worked on and so th- there's some fortuitous timing because today the warriors cinematic came out for season 2020 for league of legends and you know you one thing that i kind of wanted to, to ask you is that what's the best part of being able to comment on a product or something that gets released, like <laughs> a skin or a cinematic or something like that, that you worked on? Um, and what's the best part about communicating that to players? 
Um, you know, is there something specific that you enjoy talking about to them um, or giving them insight on specifically when it comes to something that is, you know, a finished product um, and is out there for, for people to consume? I think one of the one of my primary sort of motivators was um, I really wanted people to understand the aspect of, of teamwork um, in the game industry and like how many moving parts these things have. Um, I think, and, and I'm including myself, um, you know, as a, before I was in the game industry, like I think people tend to think of, um, you know, like game companies as made up of um, people who do literally everything yeah. on a game. Yep. It's, kind of the, it's kind of the classic, you know, somebody will complain to uh, say me, let me a skins product manager about games balance, mm-hmm. or, you know, they'll, they'll complain to a community manager about something that they have literally nothing to do with. And I, I have always enjoyed highlighting things like, um, this um, concept was, you know, a concept artist uh, solved the problems for it, but the skin itself was actually made by like 20 people. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't the concept artist who decided every single part of it. They didn't even decide the final look of the skin. Mm-hmm. It, it, everybody has a different role. So I've always enjoyed sort of. Um, kind of peeling back that layer of like what goes actually into making a game something yeah. like um something like this warriors uh, uh video which i didn't work on but i know a lot of the people who did i mm-hmm. mean this thing must have had like just within riot probably 20 or more people working on it from yep. you know artists to, to marketing people to writers and then think about the studio who made all of the stuff for it so it's like it's it's a team effort it's never one person who does everything yeah yeah and i i always like to try to 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 communicate that as much as possible you know especially when uh, one of the one of my favorite things to hear about well maybe not my favorite thing but one of the one of the things that is that makes me chuckle a little bit is when somebody tells me as a community manager hey uh you know you you should stop like tweeting or talking or engaging and like work on fixing the game and i'm like you don't want me fixing the game <laughs> you don't yeah, want me working sure. on bugs or trying to draw something because i can't draw and like and doing that it's like it's a team effort like there's a whole bunch of other yeah. people that do deal with that i mean um, like there have been times in game because i'm you know personally i'm i'm the sort of person that if somebody says something rude to me i i can't help but say something but i've gotten better at that but you know every once <laughs> yeah. in a while you'd, you'd have somebody be like hey why don't you stop making skins and go fix the game or stop playing league and go fix the game and i'm right, just right, like right. buddy if i could do stuff like that i would ban your ass like right now but i can't so <laughs> here i am trying to farm be quiet but yeah <laughs> no i i hear you on that one um, you know what? You know what's interesting about, uh, and one of the reasons why I look forward to talking to you is because of that insight into the process, right? So, in the course of the episodes that we have, we have sort of made uh, talking to different people in the games industry. I've talked to a concept artist, I've talked to a three D artist, I've talked to a rigger, and so all three of them, to uh, to a person, have said it is, you know, it is a sort of an assembly line, but it is a group team effort to make one thing work. And so I'm kind of curious about what 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 you think would be uh, best beneficial for players to understand as far as your role goes as a producer, as someone who's a product manager um, in that sort of oversight. Um, what do you wish that players understood a little bit better about 
first, what you do, and secondly, about what it really takes to get that team effort to get to that final product, to then release that product and then have to iterate it on a product afterwards. Like, yeah. Well, so... So when people ask, you know, what does a product manager do? It's hard for me to describe because honestly, it's different in every game studio. It's even at Riot Games, it was different on every game and every team. Um, Sure. I I even had sort of like, uh, not a special role, but because my strength was sort of in... um, creative uh, I wouldn't call it leadership more like stewardship my I Mm. I was able to help um, work on some of uh, the more intricate I suppose um, uh, skin lines like like for example KDA or true damage um, because I I personally am very good at um, helping give artists uh, sort of a sandbox to play in. Like I am not the the sort of producer or product manager who's like, I don't like blue. Don't make that blue. <laughs> I'm the sort of person who would be like this. Okay. So this thing is blue. This is what we know about blue and the last blue skins that we sold. Do we want to make this decision? And it, it really is a sort of a team discussion when we would do that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And right. I personally got the most joy out of empowering my artists to make like magic things. And I also sort of, and, and maybe this is because I'm not an artist. I kind of believe that like ideas and concepts can come from everyone. And I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed making skins when we weren't exactly. Uh, doing it, like you said, a sort of assembly line where it wasn't like concept, then 3D, then animation. I I liked it when, you know, um, a sound person would be like, I think I have this really cool idea for a special effect because we knew we were making, say, uh, KDA. Um, Mm -hmm. This this is not a, a real example, but they were just like, I want it to feel like this and the, the animator and, and, VFX artists could work together to make this thing together instead of kind of the the audio person kind of being last and just being handed some stuff that they put audio tracks to. I, I just I just thought like ideas could come from anywhere and should come from anywhere. And especially depending on the product, like on a skin line like KDA, it really was all about the sound. So the the feel and the the like sonic palette or what have you should really come across when you play these characters so um julian samal who worked on the sound for kda he was extremely involved in the making of that skin from the very beginning and helped inspire some of the other um, Mm. some of the other artists yeah and you know what it's it's those people in the process that we try to you know sort of interview and and talk to because you know, a lot of people, I think, at least in the last like, kind of couple of years or so, they've been, they've been better about becoming more aware of the sort of different parts and pieces that make up a game studio, right? But uh, before that, a lot of people were like, oh, there's designers and programmers. Yeah. And, that's <laughs> and they all do the same thing. And the game happens. Yeah. And, and the game happens. But no, there, there are so many other uh, different parts to making something you know, that somebody consumes as content. And, and that definitely, that definitely comes out, I think the most in sort of cosmetic and skin content, because you're looking for a sort of visual presentation that 
both elicits a sense of enjoyment out of the player that's experiencing it, but at the same time has to feel like, you know, whatever it's, uh, whatever character yeah. they're playing at the time yeah. from a lore and a accuracy standpoint. Yeah, exactly. When you were asking, you know, what, it, what exactly a, a, like a product manager does, I think uh, what you just explained is kind of the core of the job is it's, it's one is just like, it's mostly making decisions and um, being, mm -hmm being okay with making those decisions, which can be really hard. And you want to make sure you're informed by by data and strategy when you make these decisions, but um, but that is like your job. So like, for example, um, you know, you, you, you're making say a skin for Timo and there are like five incredibly good options. Um, and one of them is a B, for example, and you like, yeah, right. but, all the other ones are really cute too. How do you decide? And so like, it's a product manager's job to figure out and make the best decision possible. Like we should make this B, we should make BMO. And like, sometimes there's going to be no data. <laughs> there really isn't a lot of data about bees uh, and bee related right. skins and people loving that stuff. So you just, it, there's, um, there's a lot of like uh, gut feel. And I think, uh, I think it, requires a product manager to really sort of understand their um, audience and their demographic. Like who are the players? Like who are the players of Timo? Who are the players of Timo who buy skins? Who are the players of Timo who buy skins that are priced at this price point? Um, and what do they want? Um, and maybe, maybe all of those players, maybe they all love using um, the little devil Timo. Should we be using this opportunity to then bring in um, casual players of Teemo. Maybe, maybe when we look at the data, it shows that a person who's only played five games on Teemo tends to play this skin instead. Maybe this will appeal to them. Right. Um, and like, yeah. if that's the case, now my next job would be to work with, say, the publishing team, uh, the, the like brand and marketing people, and be like, okay, we're going to market, we're, we're targeting this to uh, people who play Teemo casually. Um, and we kind of want people to kind of laugh and think it's funny and buy it for when they feel like playing Teemo and they want to have a really funny skin. So then it becomes part of the sort of marketing campaign to make sure that's who we're targeting. Um, so that's that's basically yeah. what a product manager does, I guess, in a nutshell on a daily basis. And then, you know, day to day, it would be like, um, you know, checking out the concepts of the skin and, you know, does this bee skin uh is this illegal in some country or is there a trademark violation here um are we are we uh right. are we using our time wisely um let's and this is i did not work on bemo by the way i'm just using this example because uh, it came to mind and it's a <laughs> it's a lovely skin with bees um but uh let's say that you know for some reason this bemo skin is is taking like three months to make for some reason and it's it's like really not done but the team really believes yeah. um, that they should put more in and like you know uh i say no and then we put it on pbe players are super upset they want more um but the team's already moved on to something else it's it becomes this question of like how much more can you add without taking from like the future because you know it then becomes an issue of like production and timelines, which is the part that I didn't like <laughs> that much. It's extremely important. Right. 
Um, but I'm not that great at it myself because I'm the sort of person that's just like, well, why don't, why don't I just work like a 16 hour day to get this done? So I'm not the right person that you <laughs> <Yeah>. want, <laughs> like overseeing somebody's like team health and timelines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. So yeah. if you go back like five minutes or so, the, the kind of people, the kind of people that play Teemo. Those are the kind of people that like to watch the world burn. That's just my <laughs> that's just my opinion. And but but I say that as someone who maybe kind of has some support in jungle Teemo games in their history go. lurking and, around. And I'm curious to know which skin you use when you I use Devil Teemo. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> use, that's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. That in other words, that doesn't it, surprise I'm, me at all. <laughs> oh God. Uh it was a little devil teemo and I really liked Omega Omega Squad Teemo. That was a really great skin. Um, did you buy Timo? Yes. I mean, Bimo, sorry. Did you buy No, Bimo? no, 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 no. Not yet. Not yet. See, I, so. you're actually somebody I would not have expected to buy Bimo. Yes. Because you already have two very good skins that you use yes. to be a little jerk with. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm just yes. saying. But if, if you do buy Bimo, so what I, because I'm pretty toxic when I play Timo. If you do buy Bimo, I buy the Chroma that has his like little sad face, so I can just like, <laughs> run around like being sad at people. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I one of the things that I think I enjoyed a lot about uh, about skins in particular was just the idea of finding out what ideas were being worked on. Right now, there are a lot of people. Who were like, oh, you know, we we've been asking for whatever. So okay, we've been asking for Star Guardian Urgot for years and years and years. Okay, right, you know, that's <laughs> haha, that's fine, right? But I I was always excited about the skins that you know no, nobody really thought about, but people like yourself were like, yeah, you know, this might be a really cool skin to do. Um, you know, nobody nobody really I, I don't know nobody was really talking about a like you know wartime like half PTSD like Timo skin like nobody was talking about that and so when it came out and it and all those quotes came out and all the yeah, voice work was out great. there and the, the visuals were out it was awesome like and and a lot of people really enjoyed that and so there's there's skins that you maybe expect like Sona for example I think you can probably predict like a lot of the skins that she might have or whatever right. but there are other champions for which you have no idea what somebody might potentially come up with um, and and that's part of the excitement I think um, about working on a game on games in general, not just league, but I think games in general that have this initiative or have this desire to work on something that's that's a skin or like that's a cosmetic sort of visual presentation. So yeah, I mean, I've always like I've I've loved skins because, um, and this is even before I joined Riot, I, I, Riot actually caught my mind uh, caught my eye as a company to work for when I monetized. Um, so uh, if, if we go back to who I was as a human, um, yep. like about yep. 10 years ago, I was that person. I had a I had a keyboard. I don't remember the name of it, but every since I didn't pay for it, every 30 seconds, I got an ad. Every 30 seconds on my mobile keyboard, I got an ad and I refused oh. to pay 99 cents to monetize for it and people <laughs> thought I was crazy they're like how can you type on this thing I'm like oh it's just a it's just a pop-up ad I can make it go away and they're like but it comes up every 30 seconds I'm like I refuse to spend any money and then like <laughs> lo and behold Riot got me to um 
they got me to spend money uh, buying a champion because it wasn't in free rotation. And then I really want to buy a skin for them. I'm like, wait a minute, what, what is this? Like, how did they get me to do this and want to do this without feeling bad about it? Like I, I am the person that refuses to pay for anything online. And now I'm like buying like a completely optional outfit for, for a, for a character that's insane <laughs> so that really sort of yeah, yeah, got yeah. me thinking about like free to play and cosmetics and why i enjoyed cosmetics and it's for the same reason i like real life cosmetics and clothing it's it's about like expression of yourself like yes mm-hmm. this skin sure. for this character is completely optional but like so is like almost everything in life like we don't have to do a lot of things but we do it's like it doesn't matter what color sheets you use or what kind of towels you have or kind of color your house is but people pay money for these things because it's about expressing yourself um so yeah it makes complete sense to me that people uh myself included get very very passionate about how you express yourself in a game that you spend thousands of hours playing oh yeah and and especially in a game a game like league where i think frequently and myself included but i think a lot of players of the game they find an identity that they can communicate. And I'm not talking about like chat or like the way that they talk to players or whatever, where, where they're question marking right. where, where, where I'm at because I'm the support, whatever. Anyway, sorry. Um, but like more like they find a character or a set of characters or a champion that they, they really feel like they resonate with and they want to play. And, and in that 40 to 45 minutes of game time when they're competing to win in a game, they want to to be they want to, to to identify and have agency with a character or a champion that they feel like you know either they relate to or one in which they feel like they have the most agency with um in a team yeah, setting for sure you know and so like that's why that's why i was i became a vi main is is because of you know i identified with you know the idea of this character who was a reformed sort of criminal <laughs> Who is now? Uh, who is now like an enforcer, right? And you know they're you know they're basically laying down the law from the jungle, right? And so, a- a- the way that their her identity was communicated and the way that you know she her abilities sort of fed into that identity was why I kind of really enjoyed that character. And so when skins come out for the character, you know, like you know, like Warring Kingdoms Vi was one of my my favorite That's ones. That's a great skin. Um, or uh, or. Or uh, or demon vi, you know those play into an identity or an aspect of that identity where you take that yeah. in another direction, and so th- those are those are the the most fun things I, I find when it comes to games that succeed at being able to have like a cosmetic and skin line. Um, but I'm curious because you're serving as a consultant now on and help trying to help companies understand like how to establish that kind of rapport with players through optional cosmetic yes. Uh, yes. investment basically in skins. Is there a few like guiding principles that you would use for a company that's say starting from zero or basically from a very small place to get them to understand like this is this is how you establish you know that line like you were talking about where players want to feel like they were able to express themselves by you know purchasing or uh, accommodating um, with additional revenue things that make like a character basically just it's a visual update but that's the kind of thing that they want um, is there stuff that you usually will tell companies like this is this is what you should you should focus on or this is these are the kind of things that 
uh, will help you get to a place where you're successful in, in establishing that kind of um, rapport with players. Yeah. So I think, okay, so I'm going to answer this from two different <laughs> angles. So sure. so me as, as Janelle, as someone who thinks about sort of like creative development and like the the meaning of a skin, I guess. I think like an important piece of advice is to like not to look at what other people are doing because it doesn't matter what what skin was successful for Diva in Overwatch or what was hot in League of Legends because right. players liked those things because of those characters. It wasn't. It isn't just an outfit, and I think that's what um, I think that's what people sort of uh, they make they make the mistake is they think it's just like an outfit so they can put like a schoolgirl outfit on anyone or they can make oh, pop star yeah, yeah, pop right. star outfits for anyone or they can make bees for anyone or or what or whatever or like even league league has done the same thing and um like that's not the case like i think thinking that way is the same as assuming that um anyone could make the same uh outfit I guess, same dress that Louis Vuitton has, and it would be the same to people. It, it's not. It's like there's right, more right, right. Yeah. to it. It's it's about the brand. So because it's about the brand and there's sort of a psychological aspect to it, you, it's more than just sticking um, your characters in something that was popular in another game. Now, that said, there are some genres that are just universally popular, and every game makes um, skins out of these things because, like, people buy them people buy um people in japanese schoolgirl outfits uh people buy <laughs> like mechs like mech suit stuff people people like gothic lolita stuff there's certain things that are just kind of popular cross genre so um you know but make it your own like this should be a thing for your game and your character so when we were making skins on league it was like this is an example we've never made this but if for example we were making gothic lolita uh, lux my question as a product manager to my team is how would lux in our universe mm -hmm. be be a gothic lolita girl and two what does this gothic lolita thing mean inside of league how do you make it leagueified like you don't you can't just like go and like copy outfits um from cosplay sites or Gothic Lolita blogs, it really has to be like unique and your own. Um, and like making it part of your game and your IP is like super, super important. Um, so that's like what I would tell, um, I would tell teams is like to invest, I guess, in a like product lead who thinks that way or a creative lead or just somebody whose job it is to sort of think about this um, in that world. And then I guess, you know, as a, as a, if, if you want like business advice, uh, rarity is really important. So um, seasonality is something that uh, players love. Um, Tencent has made like over a billion dollars uh, selling <laughs> selling um, lunar like lunar New Year's uh, yeah. <laughs> like, limited edition yeah. outfits for um, honor of kings. Uh, so. I mean, it doesn't have to feel bad, you know, it's like, I, I like limited edition stuff too. Like when I just, I was just looking at a $500 hairdryer that I absolutely don't need and I'm not going to buy, but it was, it was limited edition. So I was like, Ooh, I want it. It's a nice color. <laughs> like 
that's ridiculous. But but that but like that's a thing. I don't feel like I'm being scammed for that. And like I, I think sometimes players get really, I don't know, upset over things when like the same things can right. sort of happen. I don't know everywhere in life and i personally think it's kind of fun to be able to be like cool limited edition flavor of um pepsi or whatever so i don't know um it just sort of you know it uh uh, what's the word i want to say it um stimulates that need to to do it now instant gratification but doesn't have to it doesn't have to be scammy or scummy or anything like that no 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 absolutely not and i think you know part of the reason why is that and and this is obviously you know, we've been in the industry for quite some time now. And from my perspective, as someone who's been in it for a while and has watched gamers get more and more guarded sometimes when they have a bad experience with something, it doesn't have to be skins. It could be anything regarding a game for which they potentially have to spend more money beyond their initial investment for, right? And so industry or studios and companies are in this dilemma where they're like, okay, you know, yeah. we have a product and we develop the product. There's a cost of developing that product. We release it. We have revenue. But then, how do you how do you get how do you get more revenue out of it without seeming predatory towards your players? And so that's the dilemma that I think. And and nobody, I think, very few, if any, like anybody, at least anybody that I've met, right? They nobody sets out to be like, we're gonna make this so that you know we're gonna get as much money out of players as possible. And that's the only big priority. And that's that. Yeah, there's there's companies that do work like that. But those like yeah. they they don't last very long because that's completely unsustainable. Right, it's like they right. might get like they might get a few bucks out of you because it's super pay to win. But like you're churned after like three months and like so that's not sustainable. So any any like real game company, I think, who cares about its players is trying to go for the long run. And it's a really tricky balance because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, games haven't gotten that much more expensive um, since no. since I was a kid. But, you know, yeah, yeah. prices have gone up with inflation and games are way more complicated than they used to be. So yeah. it's kind of... It, it kind of sucks a lot because so many game studios and so many game devs have to crunch and have like really stressful work environments and people do it because they're passionate about games. And I don't know, like it just, I don't know. It feels bad it, to, to feel that like, I mean, I sort of see it from I see it from the gamer side too because you know I play a lot of mobile games and there are so many games with like crazy you know monetization tactics and it's mm-hmm. really tiring and it's like what like five different currencies and energy systems and it, it just makes it really complicated to even know what you're spending money yeah. on and I, yeah. I can totally understand feeling preyed on and um, you know like scammed because there are a lot of these games out there but i mean i think yeah i think in general most like triple a game studios and indie game studios aren't trying to you know wring the last dime they can out of their players they're just trying to keep the lights on to be honest oh yeah and i think they're and i think if something is wildly successful I think I don't think that 
rarely does anyone start from a place where it's like, how can this make us the most money? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll use I'll use I'll use probably a project that's near and dear to your heart as an example. If you take KDA for example, that project from everything that you said, from every everything that anyone who I know has worked on the project has said, it was really it was really a project that I think. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually curious, kind of curious about this. So let me reframe this as a question, right? So I really feel like the KDA line, for example, had this kind of uh, cross game appeal. And when I say that, I mean you know usually you release a skin or two for league, and like league players are really excited about that kind of stuff. But anyone outside of league is like, oh, well that's that's kind of cool, I guess. But there you go. But I think KDA was different um, because there was a kind of cultural connection yeah. to what people really enjoyed right in this case it's korean pop right and so and 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 that kind of music and that kind of presentation and that kind of spectacle uh, which really honestly when you think about it it really does fit a skin line because of the way that uh k-pop in general um has this kind of focus on visual presentation choreography that kind of stuff um and i'm kind of curious to ask like when you when you start out with skins and or something like that potentially might be big like that, <clears throat> do you ever really set out to uh, set out to kind of like identify like what is what is culturally interesting to your audience and and how that connects to things? I I, I don't know if you intended on KDA being <laughs> as big as it is, but you know I, I really felt like there, there may might have been some like oh you know what this you know this is a really big thing that it could potentially be big but i just didn't know if you thought it was going to be as big as it got because it got huge. yeah so i so. um so uh, as part of my job it was uh it was part of my job was identifying what the next quote-unquote big things could be so you know like sure. what's the next star guardian or um project skin line you know um and but i will admit that um k-pop was not one of those that people internally thought was uh was one of those things that could replace that and like nowadays you'll hear people being like oh i believed in it from the start but that is not true um there was a lot of like you know needing to convince people that that this was a thing i heard i heard people be like is k-pop even popular i don't know anyone who listens to it i'm like uh well do you Uh, like You also don't hang out on the internet so maybe but um (laughs) Like I don't, I didn't like K-pop. I still, I still don't, but like I, I knew that it was popular. So for me, it it was like, okay, well I wanted, I thought this would be really cool. Um, The, the music guys are amazing. They had a really, really interesting idea. Making some skins for it could, you know, that's, that's something we can slot in. Um, So at the very beginning, I don't think anyone knew it would be as big as it did, but obviously when you start making a music video, when you start making holograms, like you're, you're putting money into something because you think it's going to be a big bet. Oh, so yeah. I, I will say that I, I think like everyone after a couple months realized that this is going to be huge um, just because of the talent of the team. Like the song was a banger. Like the first time I heard the song, I was like, this is inspiring my team. Yeah. And like my team was inspired by it. They're like, I know what this is. And so like, it, it was like being able to, to, um, to see all those things come together really helped uh, get everyone on board that this was something worth investing and putting like a lot into. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, I mean, it turned out, but you know, sometimes you make those bets and it doesn't like become as big 
as you want it to be. But this was definitely one of those cases where it was like, we, we expected it to do well. It did do yeah. well. And then it did way better than we expected it to do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, honestly, yeah. I think that's a strength of um, Fortiche, the animation studio. Um, mm-hmm. They, they've been working with Riot for a really long time. So they really understand the characters and like that um, subway scene with like Akali and Evelyn was just iconic. Like that was so cool. Yeah. And like, credit to to the um promo team and the animation studio because like they came up with the idea and i didn't i didn't like it at first i thought it was weird i was like you want to put a mask on her with a weird mouth on it uh okay <laughs> uh and then like you know we saw the animation it's like okay that's that's like that's like sick that's like sick af so yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah and i mean like it it was it, it was great because like, like yeah you know what i almost i almost like it better or prefer that you you were in a k-pop fan and still are not because it allows you to have that eye you know that kind of objective eye that kind of avoid the kind of traps that you might fall into if you are you know super into something now there it can work in your favor obviously there oh, of are course. positives yeah. to that right but i think in a producer role i think there's a big focus at least in the for the people that I've talked to, right? Because studios have different ways of defining producers, yep. but there's a big focus on objectivity and being able to have that kind of bird's eye view of the team and the overall project. And then, like you were talking about, make decisions, even hard ones, um, you know, regarding a project or how well it's going or how well you think it's going to appeal to players when it's out. And so, you know it probably benefited from the fact that you know you weren't a big fan <laughs> and still are not. You know, me like I. I'm I'm one of those people who made the transition from J-pop to K-pop. And so like, that's the kind of thing where, you know, and I have a very focused sort of uh, preference for the groups that I like. Um, And so it's, and it was interesting just because of the fact that um, I really felt that with KDA, there was a, there was a really nice sort of uh, capturing of that sort of, you know, experience that you have when you see a group in concert and that they perform. Right. So you know, I recently saw uh, Dreamcatcher, which is basically my favorite K-pop group out there. Uh, they do something different; like they're not happy or peppy or anything like that. They put rock behind their their uh, oh. K-pop sound, and it it works out really well for them. Um, you know, they're not they're not as popular as a result, but that's fine. I mean, they have an identity that they clearly uh, communicate and resonate with a certain right. Right. subset of the K-pop fan base. And so, but the overall experience, I think, was one of the one of the things where it is a spectacle and it is something that has these sort of bright and and kind of in your face sort of presentations and visuals. So when when you talk about like, yeah, you're totally gonna put a mask on a collie and it's totally gonna have a mouth, like, yeah, I was skeptical about that too, you know, first time around, like just watching it, even watching it when it was released. But then as I watched it more, I kind of understood like, oh yeah, yeah, this is something that is, you know, accurate to the presentation that you're trying to do with these skins. And so that's that was really cool to see. Okay, so something that I think is really important to, um, you know, a product manager or a producer or an art lead or a creative lead or anything is is like you have your taste, but you also have to be really objective. So um, there are a lot of things that I worked on that I didn't particularly like. Like I don't like mechs, I don't like robots, um, but I worked on those things. And in my mind, it wasn't about making me happy. It was about making the players who like those things and the players of this particular champion happy. And I think when you have like a really good team, then you can um, sort of find those people who are 
experts in that field and who can say like, yes, this is authentically mech anime, we should do this um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to help sort of, you know, give you that um, eye on something. And um, I think it also matters to be objective when you are working on something you're really passionate about. So like when I worked on um, the Coven skin line, um, which was basically, you know, high fashion witches, which is basically my dream aesthetic. Um <laughs> That because that was something I've always wanted to do, it required me to also sort of, you know, not, not to be passionate, but not try to have my own way um, with everything. And, you know, the, the way the two champions came out, I was really happy with, but like, I would I have wanted them looking a certain way? Yes. Like I actually had different mood boards, but what came out is what would make the players um, the most happy. And so that's like, what mattered so i don't know i think um i think the objectivity thing is actually something that is one of the soft skills that i developed when i was uh doing international uh relations to be honest and just sort of um being able to see things from other people's perspectives and kind of take yourself away from a situation and to find out the best um, outcome for everyone it's kind of a funny thing because you know sometimes people be like wow did you like take anything from that experience and it's like uh not really but there are some (laughs) there are some good like soft skills just well life skills it's actually really good to sort of be able to look at the big picture and um even in your daily life or you know what uh, what have you yeah yeah i think so um i i'm actually interested in some of the stuff that you did prior to, to coming to write. And I mean, like, and in a lot of cases, like there, there are a few places that people have been before, uh, you know, and we talk a little bit about them, but you have been anywhere and everywhere, I think. (laughs) Um, And so I'm kind of trying to figure out, uh, uh, you know, what, what might've been most influential for you and sort of your development or your road into the games industry. So uh, if there was one or two positions uh, that you could pick from what you did prior to that that helped you prepare for, you know, this this kind of journey into games or things that d- made you develop skills that you use even today uh, in the roles that you play, um, what positions were those and uh, and what did you learn basically? Okay, yeah. So I'm gonna highlight two jobs, uh, but first I'm gonna tell you my life story. Um, so I, I grew up, I grew up in. Um, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, in the eighties and nineties. Um, and I actually went to a pretty, uh, pretty, um, racist high school. Uh, the, the, the mascot was a rebel soldier and, um, the Confederate flag was used actually the high school, which I won't name, but they have made yep. national news at least twice in the past year for, um, for things that uh, I think are pretty embarrassing, to be honest. But yeah, anyways, yeah, yeah. Um, I basically wanted to get out of uh, out of where I was. And I grew up sort of on the internet. Um, I loved anime because as an Asian American, I was constantly reminded that I was Asian American, but I didn't really feel like it. So, and I didn't really know what that meant. So I kind of yeah, clinged yeah. on to, to to Japanese animation because it was the only representation of being Asian that I could find in the early nineties, to be honest, like Mm -hmm. Sailor Moon being in Japan was, was way closer to me than um, me feeling like I, I was those girls than some of the other uh, stuff that I was watching on TV. So uh, when it came to like high school, I, I had like 
two things I wanted to do. I wanted to, this one's weird, but I wanted to work for the UN. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the Mm -hmm. other one was um, I wanted to work in tech, um, like a startup, uh, because that just sounded cool. Um, And wouldn't it be cool if I could do both? Um, But around the time, actually, when I graduated in 99, that was the dot-com crash the first one and so you know my my 17 year old brain is like oh well i guess the internet's not going anywhere so i guess i'll go do something else um and i decided to pursue uh my interest in international relations and i um i went to loyola but then transferred to university of southern california where i graduated with a double major in international relations and japan i focused on economics and Mm -hmm. politics um, and i ended up my first job was in rural japan as a communicate uh sorry a coordinator for international relations um at a city hall in a town of five thousand people um it was really interesting because my job was basically anything that i could remotely justify as being international so i didn't i mean some people took that and decided that they would just visit um, elementary schools or translate but i don't know i'm i'm kind of a I'm kind of like a go-getter-ish type person. So I was like, but but I want to oh, do yeah, yeah. more. So one of the things I did was I started um, started international cooking classes, which I didn't know how to cook, by the way, but I just wanted to teach <laughs> these, um, these grannies and these housewives um, in Japan, like what to, you know, how they could do that. So City Hall... City halls in Japan have these very, very um, robust sort of community classes and uh, uh, like continued education because it's just kind of part of how they live their lives there. Um, So I would teach these ladies um, how to make Mexican food, how to make Chinese food, how to make Filipino food. Um, And I would have like events where we would have a real Thanksgiving dinner. And to make these events, I basically had to put together a budget, had to advertise it, had to think about my audience, had to, um, you know, write a speech and do all the messaging. And I had to do it all myself. I had to figure out how to uh, get volunteers for this, how to get an event space. And I did all this stuff in my second language. So it kind of taught me sort of to be, I don't know, kind of bold and courageous and sort of take risks, I guess. Um, and also just kind yeah. of how to to do all those things that a, that is, is essentially production work. Um but with events, it's like an events producer in a lot of ways is pretty similar to a producer in a video game. It's just a different asset. The asset is an event instead of um, a video game uh, character or, or, oh, yeah. or video game asset. So um, after that, I, um, I actually ended up working at the permanent mission of Japan to the United Nations in New York. Um, and I stayed there for like 18 months um, where I was just support staff. And, you know, around this time, that's when you would be going to master, getting your master's degree, taking the state department test, you know, doing all this stuff to, sure, to get sure. like the like job, the state department jobs. Um, but that is actually right. when I realized that I had made this terrible mistake that I actually was a very active go-getting person. And what I was doing, what I would be doing at the UN was not that like, if I wanted to be entrepreneurial, um, the UN is is not that. Um, it's very hierarchical. It's very traditional. It's a lot of meetings, a lot of talking, a lot of negotiation. Um, and honestly, uh, I sort of went through this like midlife uh, quarter life 
third life crisis um, when I was 28 because I felt <laughs> like I had spent basically the past decade uh, trying to do this thing and I wasted yeah. all this money and time doing it. And I mean, when I look back at it now, it's, um, you know, like it's, it's hard to think that that was like a mistake or a failure, but at the time I felt like a complete failure and I didn't know what I was supposed to do um, because I didn't have job experience in the UN and no one is going to call, no one is going to call uh, Japan to ask for references. Um, and then anyone who would be interested in that thought I was overqualified. And this was also right when the financial um, crisis was still happening. So I didn't really know what to do, but I realized that something I was still really good at was the internet. Um, and this was around the time when people finally realized that social media was important, um, too important to yep. give to your 19-year-old nephew intern to manage a million-dollar account or what have you. <laughs> yeah. um, and because yeah, I had yeah. run websites and fan communities for so long, I actually knew um, I knew a lot about how to do a to do SEO and Google ad buys and stuff like that. So I actually was able to hop from startup to startup because, because of that until I came across um, a company um, that hired me because the marketing director was a community manager on the Sims online. So the interview yeah. for this marketing community position was basically just us talking about video games. And like, it's hilarious that like, that sort of video game industry thing, this video gamerness is what actually got me my first jobs in like the tech industry. Um, and then from there, I yeah. knew I want to be, um, I want to work in games. So I um, looked for any and every game company I could get into. And then eventually um, Riot Games had a job that my Japanese friend sent me for a Japan publishing manager. So it was to help launch a Japan yeah. office um, and it needed somebody who was like a generalist who knew Japanese, who, um, who knew a bit of marketing, a bit of brand, a bit of everything. And like, that was me. And Basically, I was like the person that they had been waiting for. Um, and yeah, then then while at Riot, yeah. it was six years of kind of going all over the place and doing a lot of things there bef before I landed on Skins um, uh, in 2000. And mm -hmm. I don't even remember, 14 now? And since Riot, I have, um, I have I've decided that um, I want to start my own business. Um, in something, uh, kind of a childhood dream I always had, which was to be a fashion designer. Um, I don't actually want to be the designer though. I know that I'm good at product <laughs> management. So while I consult about, um, in-game outfits, I also am trying to make a fashion company to make real world outfits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, man. That is, it is, it is definitely something that a go-getter person like you would definitely be suited for. And so when, you know, when I, uh, you know, I've had the benefit of knowing you for so long. Right. And so to, to be able to look and see and, you know, occasionally comment on the journey that you've had, um, and know that I have like the greatest respect for you just because of the fact that it takes a lot to be, to go through uh, a certain uh, amount of time and be like, this is really not for me. 
you know, and some people, and, and that's fine. If they, they make that decision, then that's the way that, you know, their life or their circumstances work, right? You know, some of them are just like, okay, you know, I'm just going to keep going um, because I've invested this time. But I, I think it does take, you know, a certain, uh, a certain level of courage and definitely a certain level of risk in order to be like, you know what, this is not for me and I need to go another direction uh, for whatever reason uh, that that direction or that reasoning might be. And so that's something that you did. Uh, you know, and it's worked out really well for you. And so when I've heard, <clears throat> when I heard that you're going to, you know, branch out on your own and do these <laughs> things, I was like, if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's, it's definitely Janelle because. You know. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, you know, like I also have to, I have to say that I, I come from a very privileged place, to be honest. I, um, I'm, my family isn't rich at all and a very middle class, but you know, there was no point where I thought if I, you know, quit my job at the UN that my parents would disown me or that I would be homeless. So I I have, I'm very lucky to have a supporting family and friends and, um, you know, husband. Um, But like, yeah, I I know people in similar situations who haven't made sort of the same moves I have. And I, I couldn't tell you if they're wise or not. I have to be honest, like, you know, sometimes I look back at the people that I was uh, also like, you know, who were managers, social media managers at the same company with me, my colleagues at the time, who are now directors, or VPs at like different startups. And it's like, man, that could be me. I am. Did I make the right choice? Like my to be perfectly honest, my salary has essentially stayed within the same band um, for like 10 years, like it's gone up a little bit. But um, nothing compared to what it would be if I had stayed on the same track and stayed as a community community um, manager or stayed as like a social media marketing manager or a digital marketing manager. If I had stayed there, then I could probably be making twice as much. Um, right. So sometimes, you know, I get in my brain and I'm like, is am I, was I doing the right thing? (laughs) Like, am I, am I successful? But I think, I mean, all I can do is just like, I don't know. It's like, like this is funny. Life is not a video game. <laughs> you <laughs> know, no there, it's there's, well, there, there's there, there's no save points. <laughs> like so, and like you can't skill reset is real hard in the real world. <laughs> yeah, um, right? Have you ever have you ever seen the Reddit um, outdoors? If not, you should. No, I definitely it's, should. Uh, it's a uh, basically it's a. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, it, outdoor outdoors. It's basically a subreddit that pretends that the world is an MMO so it's just like why is skill skill reset so hard and like huh. why did it's it's hilarious um anyways <laughs> but um because like i mean everyone has their own path um and like uh, for me the video game industry is something i really really liked but i don't know if i want to stay in personally um mm-hmm. i don't know we'll, we'll see but something that i would be really interested in in the future is sort of the merging of like the two things i'm doing now like i would love to work i don't know when this is going to happen but i hope it's soon but in a future where we have augmented reality kind of everywhere and i can see a future where people are basically buying skins for themselves yeah. like in real life and i, I actually um I was interviewed by the BBC a couple of months ago on something similar because there's apparently people out there who make digital clothing 
that people can put on um, for like Instagram and stuff. And like, we've all seen the Instagram filters where you can make your face a dog or whatever, add like a cute flower crown. So we're really not that far away from being able to put clothes probably next five years. And like, personally, I would love to like work on something like that. It's, it's not exactly game related, but it could be, but it is like the merging of like tech and fashion, which are two things I'm super passionate about. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. So I, I will make you feel a little bit better about the whole community social manager thing, media manager thing. And trust me, our particular field is fraught with like, <laughs> where do you go once you're done with like community and social media management and stuff like that? And yeah, yeah, one direction you can go is VP directorship, like stuff like that. But there are a lot of people who are just who just get burned out, you know, at yeah. the engagement. And they just, they don't, first, they don't know, you know, there's a challenge about where to go from there. Like, oh, you know, maybe producer is where you want to go. Maybe you want to go marketing director or another direction like that. But uh, the path is fraught with uh, what I think in community management and games is like a lack of direction when it comes to consistent scope. And so like you go to a studio uh, or any other studio and then like, you, you look at the position of community or social media manager is completely different sometimes depending on how you look at it. Oh yeah, for sure. And so, so then, you know, without any sort of disparate, would they sort of disparate ideas of what the position is supposed to be? The, the career advancement path becomes a lot more murky. Sometimes it leads to really good things and they have for um, a lot of my friends that I know who uh, work in community and are doing, you know, bigger things now, um, much like your coworkers who worked in similar positions. Um, but there are a lot of other people who are like, man, I feel so tired every day. <laughs> I'm stressed out every day. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. Or even like you were talking about, like whether they want to stay in games or whether they want to apply their skills right. elsewhere. Um, and so that it's just a, it's just one of those things where it's just like, I don't know if there's a, there's like a right path really um, from our particular subset of the field. Uh, but you know, there are paths that, so there's no, no like path to success that, you know, everyone right. has to subscribe to. So don't worry about that. That's <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> I think, I think that's uh, uh, the problem with being a generalist, which I think a lot of like community managers are and um, yep, product yep. managers and producers are as well is like, you can do a lot of things and, but you're not like super skilled at one technical thing, like an engineer or an artist is. So it makes yep. it hard to just kind of know where to go next if um if if you're sort of feeling lost yeah yeah I, I think it's it's a real dilemma sometimes um especially for people who uh who front face in games and who are on one level or another even even the most resilient people that i know who work in a position where they're constantly either engaged with players or having to read player feedback where they might be it's psychologically or physically affected by having to do that day in and day out. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, and, 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 and so, yeah, I, I actually went through that. Um, similarly, like um, I, I had a project, um, which is a legendary skin for misfortune as character in league of legends called gun goddess mm-hmm. uh, misfortune. And um, oh, yeah. uh, this, I mean, this has come out publicly since, but you know, there was a question of whether or not this should be an ultimate, ultimate skin or something between an ultimate right. and a legendary and i actually just made a freudian slip because i called her a legendary she's an ultimate <laughs> skin she's um but i we yeah. i i personally had wanted her to be something like a legendary plus or something like that um but um it's it's since come out that you know there are other people in the studio who felt differently and um the outcome of that is i uh i 
I suffered a lot of like very personal attacks um, and just a like ton of hate and vocal outcry. And honestly, it wasn't that that bothered me. It was just a feeling that I let my entire team down and just like, because oh, yeah, sure. yeah. man, like when they would read the subreddit they would just be so bummed out like and feeling like i failed to um protect them from that because i'm their lead like this isn't supposed to happen you know like and if it does like mm-hmm. they were they should have expected it uh but no one expected it and it was yeah i don't know it was just a mess and it spent i, I spent like a really long time trying to get over it. And honestly, I think it kind of led to my burnout at Riot um, because I just couldn't get over it. Everyone else got over it. Like my managers, everyone was just like, if these things happen, it's not your fault. Like it literally isn't your fault what we decided to price her as. That actually isn't my, like, that is not within my, (laughs) like, scope. Like that's a decision that gets made higher than me. So, but they were just like- just like you know move on but like i just couldn't move on i don't know it it was a really weird thing um it really really stung me and i think it's ultimately what led me to leave riot um when i really think about it is like that was the thing that led to the burnout crisis that led me to quit riot like uh 18 months later yeah yeah no i i hear you and i think part of the reason is that when you work so closely with a community and and you're successful with them. I think one of the one of the most successful traits that you can have as somebody who who works with and who engages with players often and has a rapport that they build with them is the fact that you feel very keenly how how they feel. And and uh conversely, uh if you turn that inward to the studio, how how you feel uh what others feel when they read the feedback right. that players give. And so it's a double-edged sword because, you know, on one hand, you're very much in tune with and in sync with how your internal team is feeling about a particular initiative or project and then how players are feeling about how that project is presented and how it's how how they consume the content, how it makes them feel um, with regards to the player experience. And so that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because when it's bad, you very, very, very keenly feel it, you know, uh, in a in a way that, somebody who maybe potentially be a little bit more disconnected from that might not feel. Yes. That that was some, yeah, that's like to, to go back to what we were talking about, like, like at the very beginning of the podcast is something that I really enjoyed was being able to be that person who does have their, mm-hmm. like, who does have the final say and I'm not disconnected. I'm like, I am not a, um, I'm not like a, a community manager who is uh, forwarding, thoughts from the dev yeah. i am the dev so it's it made it that much more painful because i felt their pain just like i feel players joy and then i felt my team's pain and it was just like i felt like it was all yeah, yeah, yeah. i guess on me yeah. um yeah and i i think that i don't know i think that in the future, if I'm in a future role again, I'll probably be a little more careful about something like that because it just, I, I learned that I, I really couldn't handle being put Mm -hmm. in the middle of the fire like that. Um, like I've, I've dealt with tons of outcry and criticism, but this was, I don't know, this felt really, really different. And I, I I don't, I couldn't tell you why, but it, Mm -hmm. it did. Yeah. I mean, I, you feel that kind of crisis, I think, um, 
at some point in in games if you work uh with players and i felt it before on other projects you know where it isn't your fault you know you weren't the one who made the decision through the switch made the change pushed the button whatever that said this is the decision you're making the players and your team you know felt really bad or bummed out about it but you still feel like you're responsible somehow or that you or worse yet that you could have foreseen it coming and you could have done something to and and i think the good word that you used uh when you were talking about it was protect and uh you know protecting uh not not necessarily yourself first but the people that you work with uh the people that that you are responsible for uh, for stewardship of their feedback you know and and when you when you fail at that it it's viewed as kind of like a personal failure regardless of how realistic that feels and and so i totally get that and it's it's not like it's something that can really just drain your drain your batteries and just leave you yeah. just really really uh in a place where it's difficult to really get any work done or, or just feel good about what you're doing and so yeah i, I mean that, yeah. i just i i think i after that point i just kind of felt like i couldn't trust my own decisions anymore oh yeah that's hard that's um, the roughest part yeah yeah because i didn't want to put my team through that again yeah like and so that was that was and and like I said earlier, one of the most important things for a product manager is to be objective. But you can't be objective if you are assuming all your choices are bad. Yeah, because that's not objectivity. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, you usually start second guessing yourself and then third guessing yourself, and it just twists yeah. you into like a knot, and it just makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, you know, but regardless, you know, regardless of these, you know, some of these these things, you know, a lot of the uh, the one thing that I, I think you know helps me personally a lot is to know that you know we are only as good as uh, as we are when we face you know trials and tribulations and we prove how resilient resilient we are by getting right back up and, and going back at it and I think that's something that you've done for sure you know you're well I mean it took some time but I guess we all I, sure, I do yeah. I'm a late bloomer so I accept <laughs> that everything I do just takes longer it's fine. <laughs> I'm not bothered I'm not bothered by the fact it took a it took a while for me to you know and like honestly I'm going to be super candid here I needed to see a therapist um yeah, because yeah. I just couldn't get over it and I'm glad I did I have some colleagues now who experienced similar things uh, both at Riot and other companies who are like well, I did this on my own and it took three years to get over. So yeah. you're actually not bad because um, I, I knew I couldn't, I just couldn't do it on my own. Like I couldn't trust myself. So I needed a therapist to kind of reteach me how to be compassionate to myself and to like, you know, not blame myself for literally everything. It's oh, just, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I think it's, it's like one of those things that when you're super passionate about um, video games, like, or movie making or what, whatever it is that is uh, an art and public facing, like it, it, it becomes part of you and it's very personal. So yeah. even when you don't want to take it personally, it, it just, it can shatter your confidence. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but uh, I'm kind of curious as uh, one of the last questions here to ask you before we get into the quick Q and a here is that, um, having been through all of that, having understood, you know, what's best for you and, and now embarking on this kind of new journey of, uh, a mix of entrepreneurship and also of trying to pursue something that, uh, that you're going to be using your experience and your passion to be good at. Um, what are the things that you, you have planned for yourself as far as, uh, as far as what's going to be guiding you on this next part of the journey uh, in your career, in what you're doing, 
um, for the things that you want to do. Um, do you have any goals that you've set for yourself, whether they're goals or whether they're ideals? Do you have something that you've um, decided upon that that puts you best on the path to the continued success that uh, you've enjoyed up until now? So I um I. I definitely believe that I have a skill gap when it comes to the fashion industry. So something that I'm doing now is I'm pursuing um, classes uh, on just like the production of of clothing and handbags and stuff like that, just kind of yeah, to yeah. like catch up on that stuff. Um, and I, I know I could like read and watch videos online, but I'm really a classroom classroom learner and I, I like to network, uh, which I think is another really important um thing to do when you're trying to jump into a new um, industry. So my goals for this year are kind of like, I don't know, I like to be perfectly honest, like I wrote it down and it essentially can be like TLDR, get it done. It's just like, right, just, right. just do it. Like I could spend so long being like, oh, is this good enough? Um, is this like, is this something investors are going to be interested in? Is this what I really want to make? And I think when um, I have to remind myself um, that with this say fashion venture, which is the same as, as it's like uh, software is like um, perfect is the enemy of done. And something mm -hmm. that I've learned through video games is like, sometimes you just need to get it done and iterate on it. So that's what I'm doing in 2020 is like, I'm taking from my time at Riot and other startups is like, I'm going to make a thing. It's probably going to be terrible in its first pass. And I'm going to iterate <laughs> on it until it gets good. And I'm going to work with my customers and have an open dialogue with them to make it better. Um, which is something that I always admired um, game companies for um, and that I don't actually think a lot of uh, like people who make products do. You don't really hear of a fashion company asking their uh, customers like, well, what do you actually want? It's very, you know, we will tell you what you want. But like, <laughs> yeah. I want, I want to hear what they want. Like, what, what do you want to use this bag for? Like, what do you want? What do you need this for? So I want to be able to answer the problems uh, or solve the problems that, um, that my um, customers have. So yeah, my goal is just to like, I don't know, get it done. So hopefully, and by the end of the year, there's something that you can uh, look at and say, I want this or I don't want this. And you can tell me why you don't want it so I can use that feedback appropriately. <laughs> and, uh, make more stuff that people do yeah. want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, whether whether you Palpatine do it or whether you Shia LaBeouf uh. do it, I'm sure you'll do it. <laughs> you will do it either way. You'll do it. It, do it will it. happen. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have every confidence in you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to end this uh, end this recording with just a little bit of a bonus round here. So we're just going to ask you some some quick questions after all the heavy stuff that we've been talking about, and just see if we can uh, get a little bit more information about who you are in sort of these last few minutes we have left here. So uh, tell me tell me what your favorite color is and why. Uh, my favorite color is black because it matches everything. Huh. Someone said that about white. What a few episodes. That's ago. also true. I, I also really like white, but I'm um, I am a very sloppy, messy, clumsy person. So anytime I wear white, I inevitably spill something. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's black. <laughs> uh, if there's an alien invasion, what role do you envision yourself playing? Dying immediately. <laughs> That's the first yeah. time someone's ever answered that question that way. Some people are like, I'd like the diplomat or like I'm the dude who like rises up and fights somebody or I'm the one who runs away. But no. you are honest with yourself and you're like, I'm totally no. dead. I, when people talk when people talk about their zombie apocalypse plans or their alien invasion plans, they've got all these crazy ideas. I'm like, I am opting out. <laughs> I am not built for this world. So I guess it depends on what kind of alien situation. If this is like... 
uh, War of the Worlds, yeah. dying immediately. Yeah. If this is like um, Arrival, which if you haven't seen or read, incredible, that's good. incredible yeah, that's movie. Good. That's Blew my mind. Um, I think I would uh, probably be the person on social media cautioning people to to wait and see what the what 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 data we have yeah. from these scientists. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, what's a what's a food that you can't basically uh, quit? Um, potatoes. Potatoes, like or pepperoni. Actually, no, pepperoni pizza. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I yeah. I, I can get behind that. You know, my wife's a big sausage fan, and, and I'm like, okay, that's okay, but pepperoni. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> I, I've lived in um, three different countries, yeah. and pepperoni pizza. Pepperoni is an American thing. Like, uh-huh. American pepperoni is an American thing. So, if you want, if you're living in Japan in the countryside, like I was, and you're really, 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 really jonesing for pepperoni pizza, you are not going to get it. So, I used to like bring over these, like, those packs of, like, you know, shelf stable Hormel pepperoni. Oh my God. <laughs> I used to bring them to Japan. And it was hilarious because, like, I don't think you're supposed to be bringing in meat, but I did anyways. Don't tell. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 would I broke the law for pepperoni <laughs> tell me tell me the worst name that you could name a kid oh i don't know uh i don't know i i mean uh, probably something that sounds like a curse word i i'm very <laughs> i'm very to be i'm very open-minded about those names i don't really sure. think people can name their kids whatever they want like somebody was the first person who decided that like elizabeth was a name and now it's classic but you know yeah right exactly but someone had to had to decide on that first and, yeah. and, and get that done basically well yeah. i mean like the last the last couple of guests that i've i've uh, i've asked this question about they've taken the easy way out and said daenerys or <laughs> khaleesi and i was just like oh yeah, i mean here, take the take the i suppose yeah, so but i mean yeah it's but it's not that i mean it wasn't was she, that bad of an ending. That, I mean, was she really was she really wrong? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually, oh, no. actually, I, I hate, I actually hated her from the start. Well, not from the start, but when I was reading her, I was like, "This is this chick is crazy. She is she's going to be a mad king. She is like a very yeah. bad ruler." So the ending didn't really shock me. And you yeah. know, if you, if you want to name her that, there's still very admirable qualities she has. So you know, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. I like Darth Vader. That's one of my all-time favorite oh, yeah. characters. So there you there go. You go. He, blew, he blew up a planet. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Everybody does it at some every, point. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, you know, every time, every time I, uh, every time I say, you know what, I, if I had to pick between Jedi and Sith, I'd have to pick Sith every oh, time. And of I have, course. I have rationalized reasons for them, for that all the time. But if you ever want to point to a completely irrational, just badass reason, just go to the end of Rogue One and you know. That yeah. is why, like it's it's Vader <laughs> it's cool, man. just in there all over the place and just like you know destroying things like that's that that's pretty cool. So I mean, you know, you, I, when people but, so I know some people who it's like very fringe parts of the internet will sometimes be like chastising people <laughs> who like villains, and sure, it's like, right, but, but this is a story. Like I'm not like. If if I had planet destroying technology in real life, I'm pretty sure you are the bad guy for using it. We're talking about yeah. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. It's okay to want to be Sith. Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's completely it's, it's fine. Cool. <laughs> um, tell me, tell me, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of pets do you like? 
I don't. None. None. No. Okay. I, I uh, none I'm a, yeah. I'm um I'm actually terrified of dogs. I was attacked by a Dalmatian when I was a kid, and it's taken me about 38 years to even be able to be in the same room as dogs. I'm getting better. Oh, no. Getting able to start to pat them on the head and stuff like that, but I would yeah. like to one day um have a pet, perhaps a robot pet. Oh. That that is legal. That's fine. That's not a problem. I'm just wondering why we don't have like a really good robot dog. Because I would be all over that. Wasn't there a... Oh, God. I need to... I both... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't look like a dog. Like, you know, you need one with fur and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't worry. I have a feeling we're not too far (laughs) off from it. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) Well, Janelle, it was a a really great pleasure having you on for the show. Thank you. This is fun. And for you to uh, talk a lot about uh, your specific role, not just at Riot, but just in general for for what um, producers and product managers do, for how uh, people establish uh, a way for you know making things that are cosmetic in game appealing to both players and developers. And so, yeah, I'm definitely sure that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of what you've uh, what you've talked about today. And so if you guys are interested in uh, knowing more about what Janelle is doing, you can always follow her on Twitter at twitter.com slash the Janelle MJ. And folks, it's been a great episode. Uh, And Janelle, thank you again for coming on. We will see you on the next episode, hopefully. Thanks, guys. Bye.